Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me today. Glad you're here. Happy you're listening. Well, I've got another Midi, Medi Hassan uh, show on cli- um, uh, various clips from his show this week to critique from his Sunday, I think it was Sunday show. And the thing that struck me about this program and the reason I wanted to play some of it is just the way both sides of the political divide complain about the other side, but they're doing the same things. I mean, I know the average person sees this, you know, uh, the left complains about the right, uh, you know, with their conspiracy theories, but really all the right is doing is making observations. And then the, the, the right complains about, uh, the left's radical this and radical that. And of course the right has its own radical views. And so uh, the thing about it is, is I just, I just think it's interesting that, um, they're, they're both kind of exploiting, uh, this, the, the radical sides of their party in order to get attention, you know? And, um, I think at the end of the day, I think the, the problem in America really just boils down to the fact that in order to be an American, we have to agree on too many things. Uh, and I've said this before on the program, you know, Years ago, when I was a kid, all you had to agree agree on to be an American is that we were the greatest country in the world, and we were patriotic, and baseball, and a few things. You know, well now you have to agree on you know genders and pronouns, and uh, you have to agree on war. You know that 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 the United States is just the awesomest of awesome com- countries, and because of our awesomeness, we get to drop bombs on whoever we want and, and, and uh, blockade whoever we want, use our military uh, to get whatever we want, to push our weight around in, in, in the world. And you just, there's just too many things we have to agree on in America in order to be considered you know, American or uh, having American values. And I think at the end of the day, this is the problem. I mean... If you look at the left, they want us to believe all this cultural stuff, right? That you can abort your baby right up to the, you know, the 30th week or something like that. Or, and then, uh, you know, we have to accept that uh, people of the same sex can be, quote unquote, married when marriage is, you know, primarily a re- religious institution, a Christian institution. Um, you know, they've co-opted some of the language that, that we have in America that that's traditional, uh, language around rights, uh, and, and this kind of thing. And then and this is, a and this is, this is a challenge, right? For the, for the, especially for the conservative party, because it's trying to conserve a certain way of life, a certain historical remembrance, uh, and so on and so forth. And then, and the left is just constantly co-opting the language and, I, you know, this is creating a huge problem because um, essentially 
uh, we have to agree on agree on a changing set of terms all the time. And I think this I think this segment that Mediasan has and his guests I think really highlights some of these problems. And I thought I thought it would be worthwhile to play and critique and criticize. I mean, you know, to actually provide some criticism too, not just of the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, but also uh, of some of the the left candidates that they are the left politicians that they discuss. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's play some of Mediasan and and get to work on his uh, program. We're overwhelmed by GOP extremism. Every day brings a new crop of ghastly statements, bold-faced lies, and bonkers offensive conspiracies from Republican officials and candidates. It's difficult not to become numb to them. It's tempting to just ignore them. But this is the political party that could be in control of Congress in a matter of months. And there it is at the end, the complaint behind the complaint, right? These people could be in power. Oh my gosh, we're all going to die. You know, that's the outrage. Yeah, they bring up all this extremism stuff, but this is not, uh, you know, nobody is trying to force their their beliefs on anybody on the left or anything like that. It's just people talking, people making observations. And, you know, the, the left makes it about extremism and all this, you know, this inflammatory kind of observations they make. So, uh, but but the, at the root... It's, it's, it's the loss of power, okay? That's what they're concerned about. They're, they, they see the writing on the wall. They've got to fabricate some sort of emergency to make sure that Republicans don't get control of the power of the state. Remember, uh, on this program, we've, we've often said that this is, this, is the, this is the core of both parties, Okay. It's the monopoly power on the use of force. This is what both parties are after. And when you know that, uh, you can start to hear it in, in people's explanations for why they're concerned about the direction of the country or whatever, you know, mucky-muck stuff they, that they put on the face of it all. We have to start today with GOP Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Two shootings on July 4th, one in a rich white neighborhood and the other at a fireworks display. It almost sounds like it's designed to persuade Republicans to go along with more gun control. I mean, after all, remember, we didn't see that happen at all the pride parades in the month of June, but as soon as we hit MAGA month, as soon as we hit the month that we're all celebrating, loving our country, we have shootings on July 4th. I mean, that would sound like a conspiracy theory, right? Of course. So what you have here is you have Marjorie Taylor Greene making some observations. Hey, you know, we had a whole month of Pride Month and nobody got shot. Nobody got hurt. Uh, there was no fantastical, you know, mass shootings, uh, high profile situations. And then, you know, on a day that, you know, most Americans would like to celebrate Independence Day, we have two shootings, you know. And so she's just making an observation. And then she's she kind of catches herself and, you know, says, well, this I guess this could be a conspiracy theory. Which, you know, they've been accused a lot of. You know, Republicans are being accused of conspiracy theories all the time. 
But really, when you get right down to it, she's just making some observations. And look, there, there is no doubt that the right, culturally, the right side of the political divide is being attacked by the culture, the, 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 uh, the institutions, the, the media, the government, um, the, uh, the, the universities, the political class. I mean, the right is under a tremendous attack from this side of the political aisle. And, um, you know, I don't, I mean, should she not do this as a stateswoman? Probably not, but you can clearly tell she's frustrated and uh, is kind of lashing out here. That is a sitting member of Congress saying on her own podcast that the Philadelphia and Highland Park shootings on Monday on Independence Day, the latter of which killed seven people and wounded three dozen more, quote, almost sounds like it's designed to persuade Republicans to go along with more gun control. In other words, a false flag. Well, in some respects, uh, Mehdi Hassan is wrong and Marjorie Taylor Greene is correct. I mean, the media does tend to focus on certain types of mass shootings. Um, like we don't hear about any of the mass shootings um, on the west side of Chicago or the south side of Chicago where blacks are killing other blacks. We don't hear about those. We never hear about those. All we hear about are these, these disturbed white young men uh, that uh, choose to kill a bunch of people with AR-15s, or you know, in this case, he used a uh, SNW uh, military and police weapon. But you know, so in in some respects, she's right. I mean, they they do tend to cherry pick certain stories that are that are more inflammatory and that do tend to mobilize people uh, for uh, gun legislation. I mean, look at look at the uh, look at the Uvalde one. I mean that 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 struck a chord with uh, a number of Republicans so much so that they um, got out of line, so to speak, and and went against the the Constitution and the Second Amendment, and are trying to create laws, you know, in Congress that that are that run counter to the Second Amendment. So. I mean, in, in some respects, she has a she has a, a, a valid grievance there, uh, but uh, Mehdi Hassan he doesn't want to he, he you know he's not allowing the most generous imp- interpretation he's he's uh, holding her to account to the to the most critical interpretation. Why were there no mass shootings at pride parades? Just at Independence Day celebrations. Green did offer her thoughts and prayers to the shooting victims, and she lamented mass shootings in America in that full video. But was the suggestion that Highland Park was a false flag out of context? This is another example of Mehdi Hassan just, you know, not giving her the most gracious interpretation of what she said. He's basically saying that she said that it was a false flag to get, you know, uh, gun legislation stirred up. And that's not what she's saying at all. She's just making an observation that we had a whole month of Pride Month, which is, you know, admittedly, I think most Americans would admit, is not culturally, uh, historically significant to the United States. Uh, and yet you didn't have any crazy right-wing people going out and killing those people or anything like that. There was no catastrophes that happened. 
but but that you know we we try to celebrate the birth of the country and all that that involves and and there's some shootings i mean it's just i think what she's saying at least my interpretation of what she's saying is that it, it, you look our culture our way of life our understanding of history all of that is under attack by the left wing you know cultural steamroller these people that just want to destroy everything they want to tear down statues they want to they want to destroy our history and they're not proud of our history and i think it's safe to say that someone like marjorie taylor green is she is someone who's trying to preserve um, that history now having said that i think a lot of republicans uh, kind of long for a time that they think existed in their mind, but I'm not so sure that it ever really did. I mean, uh, the, the, the major difference between now and the past is just we have, it's, it's on TV, it's in front of us all day long, every day. And we used to not have that. that that's really the real difference. But she still kind of longs for that time. And, and what's wrong with that? You know, a lot of Americans identify with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's why she keeps getting reelected is they, they kind of long for the same thing, the quiet um, live-and-let-live society that, uh, that we used to kind of uh, all be a part of. So where is Green's boss, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, in all of this? As of this taping, his office has not responded to a request for comment about this member of his caucus. I love this clip. Where is her boss? You know, it's like, she's in trouble. Um, you know, what you what I didn't play is just his long, uh, drawn out uh, history of. She said this. She did that. She said this. She did that. And then and then here at the end, it's like, oh, where is her boss? You know, and that's the way the Democrats think, right? They have this for for a group that complains a lot about hierarchy. They have a very hierarchical system in the Democratic National Committee. I mean, there is definitely a pecking order. Uh, when you're looking at the Democratic Party, I mean, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi is is God in their system. Her and uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Chuck Schumer and uh, people like that. I mean, they, those people, they they get those people on conference calls every day and tell them exactly what to say when they when they run out and uh, to talk on TV in front of news cameras. So I just think it's it's interesting that this party that complains so much about hierarchy, you know, there's Mehdi Hassan going, Where, where's her boss in all this? What, what's his comment? But it's not just Green or Georgia where we're seeing this lunacy from the right. Case in point, the Republican Senate primary in Arizona, where the front runner, pro-Trump tech tycoon Blake Masters, faces questions about his old online postings, postings in which he lamented the U.S. entry into World War I and II and approvingly quoted Nazi war criminal Hermann Goering. He also argued that al-Qaeda did not constitute a, quote, substantial threat to Americans. Well, the people who died on 9-11 might disagree. And he cited an old anti-Semitic conspiracy that the Rothschild family helped engineer America's entry into World War One. So Mehdi Hassan just spent, you know, a couple of minutes there just rattling off a bunch of politically incorrect things that this guy Blake Masters believes about history. And, and you're seeing more and more of this, okay? Um, there, there, we have more information available to us now than ever before. Uh, one of the things I tell you guys about all the time is the Mises Institute. 
Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of books on there that they that they have for free. These are these are classic um, uh, scholarly works by really incredible people, and they're telling histories and economic history and things like that that are not in the school textbooks. And more and more people have access to this stuff, and so it's not surprising that a candidate like Blake Masters would have you know, some critical comments about how we got into World War One or World War Two, and who was behind it. Uh, if, if ever there's a false flag, those are, those are instances where false flags um, goaded the United States into war. I mean, that's very well documented. Um, but, but there's this, uh, it kind of reminds me of Tom Woods' uh, book um, where he talks about the three-by-five card of allowable opinion. And he sets fire to that, you know, and this is, this is the, this is the world we live in now where we're, you know, you've got, um, you've got kind of the politically approved or the government approved history or economics, uh, this kind of thing. And then you have this, this other group of people that are curious, you know, they're looking at the world much in the same way I do. And they're, and they're like, this is not normal, you know, these massive, uh, economic, you know, resets that we're having every five to 12 years, this is not normal. And what's going on here, you know? And so Blake Masters is one of these guys, I guess, you know, and, uh, and, and Mediasan is, is latching onto that and saying, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist. He's a wacko. He's a right wing wacko. And the, and the GOP is just producing, dozens and dozens and dozens of these people and what are we going to do about it well one of the things you can start doing is is start really understanding your history and your economic history in particular and quit criticizing people uh, that have that have done the work that have gone to great lengths to find information about our history about the world uh, that's not in the government approved textbooks uh, that that uh, that that the colleges are teaching and the and the high schools are teaching. Who cares? They say about what he said in 2007. Fair enough. People change. They do. So what's he saying now? Women are not paid less in America than men. It's a it's a left wing narrative. This gender pay gap. Um, when you control for the occupations, when you control for people taking time out to, you know, birth children, uh, things are actually pretty equal. And men do the most dangerous jobs. I want women to have equal rights, but we don't need an equal rights amendment. We do have a gun violence problem in this country, and it's gang violence, right? It's it's gangs. It's people in Chicago, and St. Louis, uh, shooting each other. Um, very often, you know, black people, frankly, and the Democrats don't want to do anything about that. They just want this open border. This is their policy program. From the Democrats' perspective, they like it. It's good. And I'm bold enough to, to admit the obvious, right, <laughs> which is that they're doing this so that someday they can amnesty these people and make them voters who they expect to vote Democrat. So these are the three things that his program cherry-picked from Blake Masters to show that he's extreme. One, the first one was the gender pay gap. Okay. The second one was the black on black crime that's happening in major cities all over the country. And the third one 
is the the quote unquote replacement theory, which is really just you know unimpeded illegal immigration across our southern border uh, that people are concerned about. I mean, all three of these are legitimate concerns, uh, except um, except the gender pay gap. There is no gender pay gap. Um, even under the Obama administration, somebody noticed that uh, men and women made different amounts in uh, the Obama administration. And when asked about this, the Obama administration said, well, well, women and men do different jobs in the White House. Yeah, they also do different jobs around the country. You know, women do a lot of clerical jobs and service type jobs. Men do a lot of manual labor jobs and dangerous jobs potentially like crane operations and working in chemical plants and refineries or working uh, in the upstream oil and gas market or in the offshore market for oil and gas. Um, Women tend to have more flexibility built into their jobs so that they can take off and take care of children. This is all voluntary. This is all something that women want to do. And employers have to account for that. They have to adjust for these flexibilities in the job roles that women want. And I mean, I just don't see how there's any dispute about the black on black crime. I mean, black, the number one killer of black people, black men, especially in America is other black men. I mean, this is just a fact. And, um, you know, Democrats just don't like the way it sounds. And they also don't like the fact that it's happening in, in democratic run cities, but it is what it is. And we need guys like Blake masters to be talking about this because these are very serious problems in America. And then the last one is just on its face. I mean, just stupid. Um, they called it the great replacement theory because, you know, the Democrats want to make, make it sound like the Republicans have some sort of, you know, evil intentions around, you know, excluding illegal immigration. But the fact is, nobody likes Ill- illegal immigration. I mean, look at all the candidates that are winning along the southern border that are winning as Republicans. Uh, these are previously democratically held towns along the southern border, and they're being won by Republicans. And every day we see a poll that shows that more and more Hispanics are leaning Republican. Why? Well, one of the reasons why is they don't like all this unbridled illegal immigration. Uh, For one thing, it's very violent. There's a lot of violence that's spilling over into some of these southern uh, border cities. And, and And the people that live there don't like that. They don't want to live with all that crazy violence going on. So they're not in favor of this unbridled immigration. So, but it was just interesting that these are the three things that they picked to make Blake Masters sound like an extremist. And I'm not sure what the the fear is with Democrats there, other than that those things are really resonating with the American people and that they're going to lose big time at the ballot in the ballot box because they're not paying attention to those things, or they have some sort of equity and inclusion agenda that, you know, supersedes that, that nobody cares about. Blaming gun violence on black Americans, paying women less, doubling down on the racist great replacement conspiracy theory espoused by the Buffalo, El Paso and Pittsburgh mass shooters. In any other period in American history, Blake Masters would be unelectable for his old writings and his new policy positions, if you could even call them that. So Mehdi Hassan, he just has a completely different take on this than I do. I mean, he just sees the world differently 
than, than I see it and, and many Republicans see it. Now, I'm not in favor of either one of these parties. I think they're both because it, ultimately what they're doing, the Republicans use these particular um, these particular issues because they know they resonate with voters. But once they get in the office, they don't do anything about any of these things. It just it persists. And and that's why I'm not for either party. They're really all about just getting in, in control of power. And they want that they want those reins of power. And so that's why I'm for neither the Republican or the Democrats. But I just think it's interesting how they see one another and and how uh you know, people play into that, you know, the tribal conflict between parties and, and how people get hooked by this. And to me, it's all just a big waste of time. We need to, I think, vote more libertarian and embrace liberty and property. And that'll fix a lot of these problems. And we know that Democrats don't want to give these dumpster fires more oxygen. I sympathize. My team and I discussed before the show the pitfalls of platforming the fact-free bile coming from the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Blake Masters of this world. Listen to the contempt in his voice about the way he describes what he perceives as a dumpster fire that you can't give any oxygen to, or the fact-free bile that's spewing out of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, this is very aggressive and combative language coming from a TV show host on MSNBC. I mean, I, I really, it's, it's almost like it's, uh, it's kind of a desperate kind of attempt to just, um, undermine, you know, some of these Republican, um, these people are getting attention on the Republican party side of the aisle. But a fire like this can't be allowed to rage unanswered. We cannot accept living in America in an America where politicians can say mad, offensive, outrageous things about mass shootings without any political consequences, and when the bodies of those innocent American victims aren't even buried yet. Man, I could think of so many things that are mad and outrageous that the left says that they want to make policy and make everybody in America live under. You know, like a wealth tax, for example, or Medicare for all, or, you know, uncontrolled illegal immigration across our borders, or wars at the whim of just any crazy president that seems to get elected to office. I mean, there's so many things that are more offensive than this quote-unquote dumpster fire that uh, that Mehdi Hassan is complaining about. How do you solve a problem like Marjorie Taylor Greene? We all know that when you respond to outrageous conspiracy theories, you can actually help normalize them and you lose energy that could be spent articulating a real vision for Americans. But... It's not as if Democrats are doing the vision thing anyways. And Green has this big following. You can't just ignore her either, can you? What do you do about a politician like Marjorie Taylor Greene? You know, when you respond to conspiracy theories, you can help normalize them. I mean, that's all just made up stuff. I mean, he's, he's just making that up. There's nothing about talking about conspiracy theories or anything that normalizes them. You know, maybe, maybe time would be better spent Mehdi, if you tried to understand Marjorie Taylor Greene and tried to understand the constituency that she represents and what their concerns are. I mean, there's just no interest in trying to understand her point of view at all. Uh, maybe she's not the most polished speaker, 
uh, or you know, the best at articulating certain ideas, but they're not even trying to understand what she's trying to articulate. What we would need, theoretically, is grown-ups in the room, right? Members of the Republican Party who would say this is not okay. The closest you've got to that is Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. This lady from The Atlantic cracks me up because what she says is, well, you need some adults in the room, you know. That's, uh, that's what the... That's how the left, that's how they don't deal with the argument, right? They just, they just make fun of you or laugh at you or whatever. And, and then she turns around and says, oh, you know, Liz Cheney and Adam Kingsinger, these are, these are the examples of the types of adults in a room. Well, of course, those are the ones that agree. Those are the Republicans that agree with the, with the left or at least the center left. So, you know, again, not trying to understand at all about what's happening in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. They just want to criticize her and throw sling mud at her. It's frustrating for Democrats, you know, to look at the Republican Party because the Republican Party doesn't always march in lockstep like the Democratic Party does. And this really frustrates the talking heads that uh, that advocate for the Democratic Party policies. Trump has birthed like a million mini-Trumps and who are fundraising off of the sort of basis instincts of GOP, racism and sexism and, and you know, anti-anti-anti-everything. I like how she said, you know, that uh, a million little mini-Trumps have been birthed. Yeah, you know, but it's, it's, not, it's not that they're just running around being anti-anti-everything. You know, what, what they see is they see a government that's hectoring them to death, you know, that won't leave them alone. And they see the Democratic Party as the main player in this, um, in this, um, this not leaving us alone kind of society. Uh, we saw this really ramp up into overdrive during COVID. I mean, it was, it was basically the Democratic Party that was telling you that you had to be vaccinated, you know, in order to protect other people. And, you know, all these reasons that, that are just, they don't, they don't follow any kind of principle. It's just kind of a herd mentality. And, you know, conservatives were pushing back really strongly against that. So it's not, it's not just that they're anti, anti everything. It's that these principles that the Democratic Party is pushing run counter to basic liberties and, and basic, uh, basic ways that people want to uh, live out their lives and, and be in control of their own lives. Frankly, a very sad awakening I had when I served in Congress, which is the realization that nothing in the Constitution requires judgment or intellect to be qualified to serve in the House yes. of Representatives. Neither is moral clarity, neither is discernment, neither is a, a fundamental commitment to equality and justice. We simply rely on communities to elevate people that should should be emblematic of our national values. And I think that's the greatest concern, is that we've entered into an era where Marjorie Taylor Greene and others actually reflect a slice of American values. I'm not sure why this guy sees this as a problem. I mean, this is the way our Congress was devised. It was devised to have uh, citizen representatives in the House, the lower house, and representatives for the state in the upper house and together they would uh, not accomplish much actually that was by design Uh, the problem is i think people are getting frustrated with all of the things that uh, government is being asked to do and of course uh, the the more you try to ask uh, of some entity that where a lot of people have a say the harder it is to get agreement 
and and that's really fundamentally what's happening here. But uh, but the the left just cannot help but lament the fact that they aren't at the top of some dictatorship. I mean, that's that's really when you when you when it boils right down to it, that's what we're talking about. They're talking about uh, that they don't like Marjorie Taylor Greene's values, you know, but her values represent uh, the values of people in Georgia, and they don't like that. They they want the people in Georgia to have values that look more like New York City uh, or, or Illinois or some other state that uh, is, is uh, uh, flanked by, you know, a lot of left-wing ideology. Consider myself an establishment Republican at the time. Many of us, and certainly those in leadership, McConnell and others, thought, oh, this Tea Party wave, we can control it. It's not going to be a big deal. Yeah. But ultimately, the Tea Party wave defined the Republican Party. I think that's what's happening with this whack job caucus that's emerging, this anti-democratic caucus that's emerging. It is taking over the party. It is the future of the party, and arguably, it's the present now as well. I think this guy's analysis is spot on, but I think what he's missing is that this isn't just a, a momentary response to um, the left's march in this direction. This has been going on for decades, and I think people have been busy uh, kind of managing their own lives and, and, and saying, oh, it'll correct itself, and kind of talking themselves out of political action. Right, <clears throat> and and telling themselves that it'll correct on its own, and I think what's happened is you know they've woken up in around 2010, and you know with the passage of Obamacare and uh, th- these other things that really, I mean, Obama was very transformational and not in a good way. These things really sent people down a path where they had a very strong reaction to this, and I think this is what this guy's missing. They all talk about this, like this just happened recently, although he does mention 2010 and the Tea Party movement. But this is why I always say Trump was a response to something. Trump is not the, the end of something. Trump is the beginning of something. We are mo- we're going to have a long road in this direction because culturally the pendulum has swung too far and people want to reclaim the culture. People primarily on the right want to reclaim the culture. The problem, as I see it, is I don't think they have the tools to do it. In other words, I don't, I don't think they understand the principles involved. I don't think they know how to articulate them. I think they're going to just create a bunch of havoc, a bunch more of like Trump, Trumpism, and we're not actually going to accomplish anything. This is why I think we should embrace libertarianism. We should embrace liberty and property. These are the principles that will guide people back to a more normal America, one that they're used to, one that they remember. And ultimately, it, it'll make the Republicans happy too. Um, they just because they they their instinct is is that, but they just don't know how to get there, uh, and so they're constantly on the offensive, trying to protect themselves from these these ravaging liberals that are constantly moving the the cultural uh, part of society to the further and further to the left and look if we can examine the gop and recognize the danger and the crazy within it but Mehdi, what i wrestle with is 
what does it really mean about American culture? Because these individuals are succeeding based on the support of a constituency. And our politics in many ways reflects where our culture is. That is a harder kind of uh, root cause analysis to determine what within our culture is elevating these people to successful positions when it is contrary and antithetical so to true. American values and to American destiny. Clearly, this guy is asking a very important question, but his analysis is wrong, I think. I mean, I just, I think the left has owned so many of these institutions for so long and has gotten its way for so long without much resistance from the Republican Party. Uh, this, this very populist version of the Republican Party's just had it, you know? I mean, if you look at the look at almost anything, the media, the university system, these these things are run by very liberal people, and they've been able to set the agenda for a long time. In other words, they've been able to get paid to politically advocate for their position. Meanwhile, conservatives are largely working jobs. You know, I mean, they're truck drivers and they're lawyers and they're you know. Maybe not as many lawyers as they have on the left. But what I've always said is people on the right are busy working in the economy. The people on the left, a lot of them get paid to advocate for government. That, that's part of their job. They actually, their, their, their job, their income is closely connected to government. And this has advantaged them for a long time. But uh, the tide is turning and, and these people are not probably going to have the safety of their, their jobs where they can just continuously advocate for their own salaries, in effect. And, and I think that's what's happening. But culturally, I think the guy's right. There's, there's, there's something happening underneath the surface. And, and people are being um, thrust into these positions of power uh, where they where they don't have a lot of political experience. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't have a lot of political experience. She's been working in the real economy, which informs her attitude about the way it's run and about the government's involvement in the way it operates. So that's why she talks like she does. She talks like a normal person. But this is resonating with people in the country, and, and these politicos that run the media and run that are lobbyists and are dealing with politicians all the time. They don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. So look, we're going to wrap up today. It's been, it's been uh, more than 38 minutes and I hope you've enjoyed this analysis and, and these clips and hopefully you'll come back for more. And if you, if you do like the show, you know, go, go share it with somebody, um, share it with a friend, a family member and, um, and help me grow the audience. But what's the definition of a right-wing conspiracy theory? Well, by the way, it's the news that's just six months early.